As you know, in recent weeks we've been meditating upon the theme of heaven and related topics. We've been thinking about those who are in glory, how they got there, what they're doing there, and much of that we learned from Revelation chapter 7. But I was thinking about many of the things that we might call the delights of heaven. I know that the actual detail as to what is going on in heaven is somewhat sparse. But nonetheless, there's enough that is given to us in Scripture to cause us to anticipate heaven and to be wishing ourselves to be among them, as John Bunyan's pilgrim said. And I was thinking about some of the ways that heaven is described, and those are in themselves delightful. For example, as you read the Bible, you'll see that the Scripture talks about heaven as glory. Some of our hymns reflect that. I'm going home to glory soon to see the city bright. Whenever Peter and the others were on the mount with the Lord, in talking about that, Peter said that he heard this voice from the most excellent glory. So heaven is glory. Heaven is God's dwelling place. And that's a wonderful thing to consider. It's God's dwelling place in a particular sense. Now we know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present in his fullness at one and the same time. But there is a sense, a special sense, in which heaven is his dwelling place. And Solomon reflected that in his great prayer in Second Chronicles, I believe it is, and in those chapters that speak of the temple and so forth. He, he mentioned there a number of times over, thy dwelling place. Again, heaven is referred to as paradise. And we'll look at that in some more detail later in the message. One of the delightful things about heaven is that it's called the city of the great king. Or Mount Zion on the sides of the north. It's called the heavenly Jerusalem, and that was reflected in the hymn that we sang this morning. Heaven is referred to as the hill of God or the mount of God. It is called the sanctuary. It's called the holy place. It's called the holiest of all. It's called the heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. It's called an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away. Heaven is associated then with the throne of God. And heaven is also referred to as his temple. That's where his saints serve him, in his temple. And then heaven is described as the house of the Lord. Psalm 23 says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are all beautiful things to contemplate. But one thing about heaven that we can also really rejoice in is the fact that it is home. And we will speak a little more of that in due course. But think of these words in Hebrews chapter 9, and that's why I read that portion, just because of the reference here in verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. In other words, he's not entered into an earthly sanctuary like the tabernacle on earth or the temple on earth. 
but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. There's another way that you can think of heaven. It's the presence of God in a particular sense. But these words, heaven itself, are blessed. Heaven has been referred to as the center of the divine government, where the throne of God is, and where the Savior in all his grace and glory without a veil is seen. Heaven is the dwelling place, not only of the Lord, but of the elect angels, and also of the spirits of just men made perfect. Hebrews 12, 23. All those who have died in Christ are in heaven itself. And that wonderful truth is expressed in Holy Scripture in so many different ways. The Apostle Paul teaches us, as we noted last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that when a person who is a believer dies, it's a case of being absent from the body and immediately, without any perceptible interval, present with the Lord. It's not absent from the body and then some other place as an intermediate state and then heaven. No, it is absent from the body, present with the Lord. Immediate. And what a thought that is. But you know, the Greek of that last phrase, present with the Lord, might well be translated better as at home with the Lord. And that's a delightful thing, to be at home with the Lord. There's a number of things that I want to speak about today in regard to the delights of heaven. And the first of them is this. Heaven is to be at home with the Lord. It's a delightful thing for the disciple, for the Christian to get home to the Lord. There was a great preacher in past days called Bishop Handley Mool, and he commented on this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, quote, The heaven beyond death is home. It is not only rest or refuge, it is nothing less than home. And home is more than a place of safety or of repose. It is that scene where our whole being is in sweet and vivid harmony with our surroundings. You know what it's like when you've been away for a period of time and you get back and you say, oh, it's so good to be home. I think I told you when we emigrated to this country, every other time I'd visited America, I was coming as a visitor on a visitor visa with the prospect of going back home. And while I always enjoyed my visits, usually to the Midwest, where my wife's folks lived, I always enjoyed getting home. And when we went through the whole process of arranging to come here permanently. We were flying into Philadelphia. That's where the port of entry was, where I would be fingerprinted and all that good stuff. And just as we were landing on the tarmac, June turned to me and she says, oh, it's so good to be home. Because she'd lived overseas for, I don't know, 30 years plus. She was home. And I remember thinking, I'm not home. I'm not home. This is not home. And I, I began to break out in a sweat. I thought, 
this is not home. But it has to be from now on. It's going to be home. And now it kind of is. Now I know I'm going back to my real home tomorrow. And when I'm flying over that countryside, there's always a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye. You know why? Because it's home. It's where I'm from. It's where I grew up. It's, everything is so familiar to me there. And uh, so it tugs at the heartstrings. But I love it here. For the last almost 25 years, we've lived in the United States. So it's very much home. It's great to be home. When you go away someplace and you come back, especially if you've been gone for a, a long time, it's often the case that you will say, it's so good to be home. We should be that way about heaven. That's how we should feel about heaven. Because to enter the unseen state, the Christian is not tottering out into the cold and the wet and the void. The Christian is getting home. That's a wonderful thought. And what will that home be like? It'll be a circle of blessed fellowship, a place of inconceivable communion, love and joy among the inhabitants of that place. You know, in many a home this side of heaven, there's discord. In many a home, there are constant arguments. In many a home, there's strife. But none of that in heaven. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. The supreme bliss of heaven, which is always going to be something that is greater than everything else about it. And it's going to be first in everything. It's this. We shall have gotten home to the Lord. The presence is something that we must contemplate. To be at home with the Lord. And you know that home, they often say, is where the heart is. But you know what makes a home? Those who are in it. And boy, have I been finding that out these past weeks. In many ways, I feel now that I live in a house. I used to live in a home. It's not a home anymore. It's a house. Because it's those who inhabit that place that make it what it is. And without them, it's never the same. But what a joy it's going to be. What a, a moment of rapture it's going to be when the redeemed spirit sets foot, so to speak, for the first time on the heavenly shore. What must that be like? Joy of all joys to see the Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who loved us before time began, the one who shed his precious blood that we might be forgiven and never go to hell. We're going to be there with him, at home with the Lord. And of course, there's an added joy in heaven. The main one is the presence of Christ at home with the Lord. But there's also the presence of loved ones and the saints of God from past ages. And there's going to be a great joy in that, in finding loved ones in Christ who went before us, waiting for us to give us a welcome. There's going to be a happy reunion when we get to heaven. 
Someone wrote, what knitting, what knitting severed friendships up where partings are no more. Sin can never enter in there to mar the fellowship. Family members will meet their loved ones again. Old relationships terminated by death are going to be more than recompensed by the new abiding relationships of that kingdom that will never pass away. Sons and daughters will be reunited with their parents. The Bible says that many will come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, a grandfather, a son and a grandson, all together in glory. Yes, a family. Those that were taught will enjoy the company of their teachers again. Apostle Paul talked about that, about the people of God being his crown of joy and rejoicing in the day of Christ. All the spiritual fellowships that were begun on earth are going to be renewed, untainted by sin, in the pure bliss of heaven. For every reunion above, there's always a corresponding bereavement on the earth until the Lord returns. There's always going to be that sadness. But when the Lord returns, death itself will be destroyed. And so death both parts and reunites, friends. It's the last great enemy, but it's going to be destroyed. And death, while it parts us from our loved ones here on earth, it reunites us with loved ones in glory. What a comfort there is in that. Present with the Lord. And let's think about this a little bit more. Because at death, the spirit of the believer leaves his body, and as Ecclesiastes puts it, goes upward to the Lord who gave it. The believer's spirit is immediately in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. It's now at home with the Lord. And the second thing is the spirit's of loved ones in Christ who preceded that believer to the better land are, as one of the hymns puts it, at the beautiful gate, watching and waiting to welcome him on the other side. And a third thing, there is a mutual recognition and a happy communion straight away among those spirits of just men made perfect while they await the day of the resurrection when their bodies will be reunited with their souls. There's no doubt as we read the Bible that it shows us believers when they die are reunited to dear ones in Christ who preceded them. So the first great joy of heaven, the great delight of heaven, first and foremost, will be to see Christ, and to be with Christ, and to be like Christ. But there's also the reuniting of the redeemed with their loved ones who have gone before and died in Christ. Praise God for that. John Bunyan, he said of heaven, there you shall enjoy your friends again that are gone thither before you, and there you shall with joy receive even every one that follows into the holy place after you. And another great Puritan, Thomas Watson, one of my favorite writers, he says, we shall not only know our friends and godly relations, but those glorified saints whom we never saw before. It must be so, he said, 
Because if Peter in the transfiguration knew Moses and Elijah, whom he never saw before, then surely in heaven the saints shall know one another and be infinitely delighted in each other's company. There's a beautiful picture of the passing of the soul that fears the Lord, and it's hidden just beneath the surface of the text that records the death of Moses. Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. It tells us there, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. So that's clear. He died. But you know, in the original, that last sentence, according to the word of the Lord, actually reads like this, according to or at the mouth of the Lord. And it has been paraphrased significantly by Jewish writers as, quote, with a kiss from the mouth of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? A kiss from the mouth of the Lord. It's associated with that expression in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And of course, we know that scripture in Psalm 115, or Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know what that means? It means that at the death of, of a believer, the Lord Jesus, who rose from the dead and is alive forevermore, is present there. And he's watching that dear one whose earthly life is drawing to a close. And that fits in with what we preached a couple of weeks ago about them also which sleep in Jesus or who are laid to sleep by Jesus. We may not see him, We may not be conscious of his presence, but at the bedside of a dying loved one who is in Christ, the Lord Jesus is there. And as Dr. Cairns once said to me, it's not so much that we go to be with the Lord at death, but that he comes for us. He comes for us and takes us to be with himself. To fit in with this scripture that I just gave you, it's like the Lord Jesus stooping down, as it were, and kissing the dear face of the dying saint, which then takes his flight to the heavenly home. What an amazing thought that is, that the Lord draws near to the bedside of the dying saints and takes them to the most delightful place that they have ever been in. And why is it delightful? Because it's an answer to the prayer of the Lord himself in the days of his flesh. Here's what Jesus prayed. John 17, 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, that's his elect ones, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. It's the desire of Christ to have us with him. And that is something that is fulfilled every time a believer dies. They enter into the delight of heaven, and the greatest delight of heaven is to be with Jesus. The psalmist said, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. And that's the second thing about heaven and the delight of that place, and that is the prospect. It's the prospect of glory. Sometimes I think we get too earthbound, don't we? We get too comfortable on this earth. And we know this in the world that people are attached to things, whether it be houses or lands, or even people. 
They get so attached to the things of this life. But yet the psalmist could say, there in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. We must love the Lord more than anyone else. And the born-again and blood-redeemed souls, at the end of their earthly course, they are received, they're taken, and they're welcomed by Christ himself to those glories that center in him, who is the God of glory, and whose glories fill heaven. What must it be to be there? You see there in John chapter 17, and in the book of Revelation, that in heaven there's the outward glory of God. There is also what we might call the moral and spiritual glory of God. The seraphim witnessed to that when they cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And all the inhabitants of that blessed land share in this glory. One of the hymns says, There with the glorified, safe by the Savior's side, we shall be satisfied by and by. Oh, to be in the place of the glory. That's the prospect. Every one of the angelic hosts in heaven is holy. Every one of them. The disembodied spirits of God's people, the redeemed in that place, have, through the operations of His grace, been made perfect, perfect in holiness. That's what Hebrews 12, 23 signifies. The spirits of just men, means justified men, made perfect. Now, there's none of us perfect. I'm far from perfect, and so are you. But oh, when we get there, we'll be perfect. No sin, no impediment, no things to remind us that we're living with the infirmity of being in the flesh. There's none of that. We're going to be made perfect in the Lord, according to John 17. That is the great prospect. Something else about the delights of heaven, and we can attach to it the promise. And it's the promise that the Lord Jesus gave to the dying thief. Not to both of them, of course. We often say, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and so may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. But that was just one of the dying thieves. The one on the other side was not redeemed. He was not saved. He did not go to be where the other one went with Christ. Where was that place? Luke twenty-three forty-three. Jesus said to the thief, Verily, it means truly, I say unto thee, Today, not later, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That cuts right across the doctrines of the so-called watchtower society, the false Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that paradise is on the earth. Jesus said, thou shalt be with me in paradise, Luke 23, 43. And that word paradise is found in three places in the New Testament. And in each case, you can see from the context that is another name for heaven. That's what it means. Paradise and heaven are interchangeable terms. This is the promise that the Lord gave. And our Lord, after promising that repentant thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise, cried out with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands 
I commend my spirit, and then he gave up the ghost, or the spirit. Luke 23, 46. Where did his spirit go? It went immediately to the Father who is in heaven. And consequently, where he was with the Father in heaven must be the same place as where the pardoned thief after his death was with him in paradise. Paradise is just another special name for heaven. I said there were three references to paradise in the New Testament. The second of those is in 2 Corinthians 12, 24. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 24. Paul said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise. Notice that. Caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, in that first utterance, Paul talks about being caught up to the third heaven. And that was a Jewish phrase for the dwelling place of God, more commonly rendered by that single word, heaven. And then repeating the thought, he refers to the same place, but this time he calls it paradise. So heaven, or the third heaven, and paradise are really interchangeable. And this is the great promise that God has given to his own. And there's a third issuing of that promise, Revelation 2 verse 7, this time to the church at Philadelphia. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I found this in the close of the Revelation, there is another reference to the tree of life. And it's located in the same place as the throne of God and of the Lamb, which is heaven. So heaven is the place whose beauty and delights may be emphasized by the word paradise. There's a fourth thing I want to talk about in relation to the delights of heaven. And it's the prophet, the prophet of heaven. You carefully examine what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. And he speaks again certain things about the blessed dead. The prospect that is before us. And it is clear that he is speaking about that which is profit or gain, if you like. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The minister of Malvern, I heard explaining that at my wife's graveside. And I thought it was a tremendous way of explaining this. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, if we're living and it's Christ, how could you have something better than Christ? How could it be gain? And the way he explained it was, for to me to live is Christ and to die is to have more of Christ. And that's what heaven is. Is to experience Christ in his fullness. And Paul talking on, he says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I would not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two. In other words, I'm in a dilemma. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Two things there. 
to be with Christ, that's gain, that's profit, but which is far better. And the Greek actually is far more strong here than the English. It's not just that it's far better, but it's far, far, far better. What a comfort that is when we think of our loved ones who have gone from us. What they're experiencing now is far, far, far better than anything here. But I want my loved ones who have departed to come back. Humanly speaking, yes, I would. I've heard people say, oh, you you wouldn't want them back. Well, I'm sorry, I would. If somebody said to me, tomorrow morning your wife's coming back to be with you, I'd, I'd take that on a heartbeat. But that's because I'm not perfected yet. I'm still in the flesh. And my earthly desires are such that I don't see things yet as they see them from the heavenly standpoint. So if someone said you could have your loved one back, I would say, yes, I'd like to, but, but here's the thought. They would never want to come back. I may want my loved ones with me, but they don't want to be with me. They're with the Lord. And what a great thought that is. Paul said, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. I understand I've got to stay here because that's what's needed. But he said, I've got a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. There's the prophet. Life after death is far more blessed for believers than their happiest moments on earth. And you know, here on earth, we have a lot of enjoyable things. We have a lot of enjoyable experiences. But it pales into insignificance when we think about what heaven is. On this earth, there's disappointment and there's sorrow that often overshadow our path. Weariness, weakness, aches and pains and sickness. We get older, we don't recover from exercise like we once did. We, we have aches and pains that we don't know where they came from. There are struggles with sin and Satan. And yes, doubts and fears come upon us. But as we preached the other week, in heaven God wipes all tears away from their eyes. And furthermore, they're made perfect in holiness. And after death, there's perfect joy and happiness. Notice what David said in Psalm 16 verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. On another occasion, the psalmist said, They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. One old commentator said, Here a few drops of joy enter into us, but there we enter into joy. And one final thing, and that is in heaven, what a delightful thought. There's the perception. And what I mean by the perception is the knowledge of others, the getting to know others, the, the, the understanding that our loved ones are there and we recognize them. J.C. Ryle wrote a lovely booklet entitled, Shall We Know Each Other in Heaven? And his conclusion was very firmly, yes, we will know one another in heaven. Think of the words of Paul, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You know what that means? Paul expected to recognize 
those beloved Thessalonian converts when Christ came again. He said, you're going to be my joy in the presence of Christ at his coming. He would see them face to face at the last day, and he rejoiced in that thought. He was going to stand side by side with them before the throne of God, and he was going to be able to say, here am I and the children whom thou hast given me. Again, the words that we spoke of last week in 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't sorrow as others that have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. There would be no point in giving these words of consolation if it did not imply the mutual recognition of saints. There will be that blessed perception. We'll know one another in heaven. There is some dispute, I don't know if it's dispute, uh, some difference of opinion perhaps among commentators and others as to what people will look like when they go to heaven. If someone died at a certain age, are they going to have that reflected in heaven? Perhaps not, because age is a sign of weakness and the effects of the fall. I don't know, what will we look like? I don't know. But one thing I do know, we'll be like Christ. That's what matters. And sometimes we can carnalize things so much that we get so bogged down with the the earthly thinking that we want to think, well, when I see my father or mother or whoever it might be, I'll, I'll recognize them because of how they were here below. That's not necessary. They may not be exactly like they were before, uh, below, especially since they're disembodied spirits, but we'll know each other all the same. When Peter was on the mount, he knew who Elijah and Moses were. Moses had gone to heaven. He had died. He was buried. And yet there he is on the mountain, and those other men knew who he was. David, when he lost that little child, he said, I shall go to him. He shall not return to me. There wouldn't be much point in David going to him if when he got there he didn't recognize who he was, would there? No, we will know one another in heaven. Of course we will. And if you look at the various scriptures that speak to this, they all seem to point in the one direction and to the same conclusion. They all imply this great truth of perception that we will know one another in heaven. Yes, we'll have a body perfected and transformed like Christ in his transfiguration, but still the same body. A character perfected and purified from all sin, as one man wrote, but still the same character. But in the moment that we who are saved will meet our friends in heaven, we shall at once know them, and they will at once know us. And there's something glorious in that prospect. We're going to see our loved ones, but we long to see our Savior first of all. Fanny Crosby wrote, Know each other, blessed comfort. When this mortal life is o'er, we shall know our friends departed, kindred spirits gone before. In our holy thrill of transport, they will be the first to share, first to bid us kindly welcome. We shall know each other there. The question always is, when you're preaching the word to any congregation or any group of people, will you be there? We can speak of the land of the blessed, 
that country so bright and so fair? And oft are its glories confessed, but what must it be to be there? The question is, though, will you be there? And as I've said in past messages, we don't just take it for granted that everybody who comes to church is a Christian. We don't just take it for granted that everybody who listens to the word at our lips is a Christian. I don't know anyone's heart. I really don't. Just as they don't know mine. We can only go by outward sight. We're fruit inspectors. We look and we see what we see and we make judgments on that basis. A judgment of charity, perhaps. That person is a Christian or that person I don't think is a Christian. But ultimately, as the Scripture puts it, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And if you're not His, you will not experience the delights of heaven. It doesn't matter how good a person you may think you are or others think you to be. It doesn't matter if you join a church or you're baptized or you're confirmed or you've had some other religious ceremony performed that you were a part of. None of that will matter. You have to be in Christ. You have to be redeemed. You have to be born again by His Spirit. And that's what we preach. And that's what we urge upon people to seek the Lord, to repent of their sins and to believe the gospel, to come to Christ while they're in time and not in eternity. So may all of us, under the sound of the word today, make our calling and election sure. And in that great day, may we all be gathered at Jesus' feet. I would never like to think that anybody Whoever sat in a congregation of mine listened to the gospel on a regular basis but went out into a lost eternity. That would be a fearful thing. May the Lord grant, as the hymn puts it, that we'll all gather at the river, the beautiful city of God.